Hello from Temple Bar in Dublin.
Hello, welcome to season two of our Tradfest podcast, brought to you by the Temple Bar Company and Falcher Ireland. That opening set of tunes there was by the Cain Sisters, recorded at Tradfest in January of 2019. Over the past two months, we've spoken to festival directors from across the globe about their experiences during the COVID-19 pandemic. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Dawn Beaton. Dawn is the Festival and Programming Director for the Celtic Colours International Festival. And of course, Dawn is one half of the Beaton Sisters Band. Dawn, it's a pleasure to talk to you here on the Tradfest podcast. Great to talk to you as well. I think if I look out my window, I can I can almost see you. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's enthusiasm anyway, so I like that. I must say. Now, we met you, of course, at Tradfest in Temple Bar in January. Things were so different then. Life just yeah. was so wonderful and no challenges. Suddenly, things have changed. And I want to talk to you about the Celtic Colours International Festival a little later. But I'm very curious about your own musical background and how the music generates and regenerates itself in your hometown you're from i believe is it a town called mabu you nailed it that's it that's good that's in cape breton but you, there's a tradition would you just tell us a little about the tradition there and how people come through and develop musically yeah so i love talking about mabu it's uh, it's where i've spent you know most of my life um and my folks still live there and where you know get back to it uh, as frequently as we can. It's uh, it's just a small little village, and um, it's funny that they did a rebranding um, with a graphic designer, and they they settled. I don't think we ever had a, a saying per se, but um, it's been uh, christened the uh, map of where culture lives. So I think that gives an, a little indication as to. Um, some of, of what we've seen there. So it's, it's predominantly a very fiddle-heavy uh, culture right in the village. There, are, there have been some, and there are some great pipers that have come through um, Mabu itself and, and all the little subsets of Mabu, like the Mabu coal mines, um, just slightly up the coast. Uh, it's a great place for dancing. Um, you know, with pre-COVID-19, there were weekly square dances uh, at, at the West Mabu Dance Hall every Saturday night. So, um, you know, we've been very fortunate with the type of, of Gaelic, um, Scottish Gaelic flavor that has um, existed and thrived there for so long. And we have great Gaelic choirs and, and the Gaelic instruction. And, you know, it's something we still have to fight for. We have to ensure that the next generation and generations to come um, see the value in that. But uh, there have been some really pivotal people that have have made inroads um, for folks like myself um, to have fiddle and dance and Gaelic instruction. So um, that's just a little a synopsis of, of what we're all about. So it's a strong living tradition with a, with a, a deep culture. That's, yeah, you, that's very succinct. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it really sounds like it could be an Irish culture as well because it's, it is very reminiscent of how the tradition is here. So I presume then that tradition is handed down from generation to generation. Yes, and I should say too, there, there are pockets of Irish and, and Welsh um, within the Mabu's history, but... Uh, when the Scots came, they came, sort of thing. But uh, yes, because of of the oral tradition that exists exists in both Scottish and, and Irish cultures, 
as well as most of the Celtic uh, nationalities, that, that oral tradition was so pivotal and it really means that the tunes that we're playing and the steps that we're doing, steps I should talk about separately, but the tunes we're playing are, you know, easily one to two hundred, if not more years that come straight off the boat, essentially. And then we kind of found our own our own voice, in a sense. You know, Gaelic songs were, were written here, and there's some different stories about how, you know, when they left Scotland and they're, they're conversing back and forth with the folks back in Scotland, they'd write songs to each other and, and glorify, you know, the new, new land, new Scotland, uh, in some of those songs. But um, I always like telling the story, mom and dad don't play. They're, they're just, they're not musicians. They weren't really given that opportunity, which is a shame. Um, and so that goes back another step too. My grandparents, um, both maternal and paternal, didn't play. And uh, there's a great clip. Um, Natalie McMaster, who certainly has, has played over your way numerous times, um, she used a little clip of Grandma on one of her albums um, called Grandma's, the track three of it. And, you know, Grandma says, you know, she she was one of nine and uh, there was just, growing up on a farm, you just didn't have that kind of money, let alone a teacher in the area to to instruct. Um, but she said, boy, oh boy, if I, if I could have, I would have been a violin player, as she said. It was never fiddle, it was violin in that generation. So she knew all the tunes, she knew them inside and out, and she would diddle the tunes, or she, it pushed to veal, mouth music, and so she would um, go through the tunes like that, and that became the music generator in the household, so much so that Natalie's mother, Minnie, and uh, my, my aunt, Mary Janet, learned to step dance, dancing to Grandma's pushed. So it's, you can do a lot even without an instrument in your hands and I think that's probably the best example of passing it down through the generations. It certainly is and it's it's a beautiful uh, description of it. It could be, you could be describing some of the scenes actually here in Ireland with that description of the, the tradition. Uh, she called it violin, of course you call it fiddle, which is what we call it in traditional music here. What about the dance then? Where does that come from? Dance has a more interesting story, and it's it's complicated, and it's one I think we're still trying to unearth. Um, you know, there's there's been a time where um, I suppose in the last you know a solid 30, 40 years ago, there were pockets. Now I'm not speaking for the whole of an entire country, be it Scotland, but. There are people that would have seen Key Breton step dancing when it first went back over about 1982-83 and, and kind of looked at it and said, well, what's this? Where did this come from? And, and we're like, well, we're pretty Scottish here, so it totally came from Scotland. Um, and they had lost it. They just, it wasn't something that continued to be. Um, it's it's changed and that's been the work of a lot of great folks on both sides of the pond um and so it's it's starting to come back in scotland but it is it is something that flourished here and still does so much so that you know i could program a concert in when i did this last year at our closing concert everyone can pretty much dance here it's very similar to a shano style actually and uh so for the closing concert i wanted to bring up people on the stage as a surprise of like these are I think the ages went from 40 to 80 
and uh, and showcased you know people that go to the dances routinely and just are the cleanest you know can step her off kind of dancers um so square sets is another one too that's something that's only come through for us i think about the 20s and 30s that that brought uh, to prominence and keep writing but it's it's one of those things where I think it's a meld of some of the United States influence, some of the Quebecois, um, the Rand dancing, and a bit of the Scottish quadrilles. You know, those are all influences on what makes the Cape Breton uh, square dances and square sets what they are. And even within Cape Breton, there's at least 11 or 12 regional uh, square sets, square set styles that happen across the island. But they've um, they've started to die down a bit. You know, it's probably, gosh, four or five that are really strong at this point. So there's lots of work we can be doing here, and uh, that's just how it is. You know? Yeah, you mentioned there, actually, uh, when we started speaking about, you know, the work that's involved in, in preserving the tradition. Is there a younger generation playing the music and dancing the dances there? Yes, and thankfully so. And again, it's, it's all thanks to certain instructors of those different disciplines that have such a passion for it and are great with children um, that, that make it possible. So we've seen, for instance, in the Gaelic language, um, a huge resurgence, really, for us anyway, um, since probably the late 90s. And that's continued on. And, you know, even in my lifetime, it was in my tenure at high school where we were actually, it became an accredited course. So, um, and that wasn't really, that never happened before. Um, when I look at what's going on, you know, like the Gala College or Caution Gaelic in St. Anne's, they've done a lot of youth instruction and uh, they've had such an influence in the last five to 10 years that you can see these youth coming through that are just, they're such go-getters. They're, what I love about the youth of today is that they love going to square dances. They get the community aspect of it. And they're not one pillar discipline. So they don't specialize in just fiddle or just dance or just pipes or just Gaelic. These are folks that are well-versed in all of those disciplines and are taking that full Gael perspective of life as one should, you know, things that I wasn't privy to. And they're going into the world with that kind of um, background, which is a huge asset. So I think that's what's really different about the youth of today is that they're just so well, well-rounded in that respect and they're great little musicians and they love it and they support it. So um, there's a, a pocket of them, but, and again, there can always be more and we're trying different ways to get to them and with no schools open, it's just so difficult, but they're pretty savvy on the tech. So I think they've got the one up there. What about the Canadian government or the local government even? Are they are they enthusiastic about preserving your tradition? Yes, absolutely. We've had great um, response and great support from really all levels of government. You know, if I look at, so in Mabu, we're part of Inverness County and they rebranded, um, I think it's smartly, as the musical coast, Canada's musical coast um, on the western side of Cape Breton. So that's just an example, and they reinforce that through, you know, how they support musicians and and what they do to keep people engaged. And they they get it too. They understand that if, if folks can come, you know, to visit family, to go to the great beaches, to do now what's really world class golf there, 
Um, there's a lot of reason to go to Inverness County, but music um, and tourism and scenery are a big part of that. And kind of, in a way, can't have one without the other. Um, provincially, yeah, I think, and federally, they've been wonderful, um, and they have supported us. Certainly, it's the festival, and um, and so we take that money and greatly and carefully spend it to you know, to the artists and support them that way too and give them the platform that is the festival in addition to in addition to an artist fee. So it's all we all have a part to play and um, yeah, I think it's it's working well. Well it's certainly great that the both the government and local government see the value in that and you mentioned about the festival and that's really what I want to talk to you about. Uh, I was at Celtic Colours some years ago. I was really intrigued by the festival. What impressed me really, apart from some of the very big gigs and stuff and Cayleys and the crack and the club at night and all of that that happened, but what really impressed me was that it was taken out into the community and the community embraced the whole idea of the Celtic Colours International Festival. Uh, I presume it's still the same sort of idea around it, although you're doing things very differently this year. Yeah, so, you know, 2020 being the anomaly, we started in 97 and it goes back to the co-founders being Joella Foles and Max McDonald. And, um, you know, they, they went over to Celtic Connections, that was definitely um, a source of inspiration for them. And I think they were on the flight home saying, you know, why can't we do this? Um, but they were really intelligent about what they did. They didn't make it a copycat of, of Celtic Connections. They said, well, let's make it work for what is unique about Cape Breton. And, um, you know, I suppose small p politics aside, it's, we've seen how other events have worked here and, um, and, and some work really well the way they're set up. But to be truly representative of Cape Breton and to make it a Cape Breton festival, it really needed to be out in the communities. And it was, you know, I'm sure they had their, wasn't a um, slam dunk as far as sell a sell to some of these communities from the get-go, as most things can, you know, be. Um, but I think quickly people saw that, okay, they're getting international talent to come right to their their back step, um, playing in their in their humble halls and churches and schools, and then it's it's also putting our local performers on a on a platform as well, um, and you know then everyone gets a share. So really, as much as we are a festival, we're really community economic development in play. So we work with other not for profits. And it's about supporting those. I mean, they, they do volunteer and commit and work for the event, but there is a little bit of uh, financial incentive. And over, you know, 23 years, that adds up for some. That means maybe a new roof or a new furnace or a new sound system. And, um, and then they're a part of culture as well. So it's, it's been a really good working relationship. And of course, you have some beautiful venues, as I mentioned, in the community. Now, what are you going to do this year then that's different for Celtic Colours? Yeah, that's almost still being decided. No, it's, it's, <laughs> um, I was saying to someone recently that the way I program is entirely based on how Joella did it, which is this great magnetic board that sits in my office and 
kind of moved the, the puzzle pieces, as it were, to decide on things. So I had everything set up <laughs> in March. And that was a hard thing to let go of, but I so much so that I, I didn't actually go into the office until just recently and actually take all these magnetic strips down. <laughs> and so I waited so that I had the office to myself and no one was there. And it would have been, ironically, the day that we would have made the list public. So it was all very cathartic. <laughs> But, um, you know, it's, it's trying to imagine what we're going to do. What we have decided on, though, just saying, well, we've, since 2011, we've done um, live streaming for the festival. So we would typically do nine nights. All nine nights of the festival, there would be one stream. So, so it's, an, it's somewhat easier transition for us. Um, what we weren't sure about, you know, back in March and April uh, was what would be, and we still don't know what the um, provincial uh, regulations will be. So we're still in a, a state of emergency, as it were. Um, but things have flexed and opened up for us a little bit, um, so we can gather a bit more. But regardless, we're going to set up a venue and take every precaution to protect, of course, our artists. Um, but we are still an international festival, just the same. So as much as I will have local on-site um, performers um, working with folks to plan out uh, some international visitors uh, from their home essentially and and weed that in so I'm staying true to the international festival part of our name and so it will be nine nights um, and we'll see if we can have some other surprises in the mix too but that's what we're committing to at this point. Just to get to, to some specifics what are the dates? Uh, we are October 9th to the 17th this year. So the clue is always to look up Canadian Thanksgiving. American Thanksgiving is November. We're, we're actually with the harvest in October. So uh, 9 to the 17th. You're streaming. Are you going to put it behind a paywall? So that's another thing we've looked at. So we've never charged for the streaming in all of our nine years doing it. And we're certainly, you know, as much as we... Everyone needs the, the income to stay afloat and keep going. Um, we didn't want to change that. And cool. we're fortunate with our government supports to continue to work as a staff as we are. Um, and we're going to pay all the artists as well. So what we're doing uh, is we want to keep that accessible. It is a pandemic and people have lost jobs and lives through this. So it felt uh, really... I don't know, really false to have charged. So we're going to make it a donations only. If you if you, you could certainly access it for free, but if you'd like to chip in, um, we'll make that option available. And it'll be, we don't know exactly the time. Typically we've been on 7.30 Atlantic time, but um, what, we've, what we'll do is we'll leave it up. Normally we would leave it up for 24 hours and, and move on, but I think we'll probably have it have it up and, and recognizing the different time zones. Uh, it's late, you know, by the time we get started here for you folks over there, but uh, it'll be up for a spell. Well, from my own personal experience of it, late or early didn't seem to really matter over at the Celtic Colours Festival when I was there some years back. <laughs> uh, it was one of those festivals. I have to say the atmosphere was absolutely brilliant. Uh, what about artists? Are you in a position to tell us about any of the artists you're bringing over there this year? I wish I were. I've been at least grateful for some leniency with trying to adapt to adapt to things and keep my options open. Mm -hmm. But uh, I went in, like I say, with my magnetic board and 
have put up new stickers as to uh, what I would like to see. Now I just have to figure it out. Um, because like I said to you at the, the top, uh, we're in a bit of a bubble. We will be in a bubble with our with three other Atlantic provinces. But um, So then travel will be a little easier amongst them. But if I'm looking at folks outside of that, then it's another story. And So there's things like that. I, it'll be good. It'll be a mixture of local and, uh, like always, local and uh, visiting talent. And of course, then you you will have that international focus probably in uh, on you that you may not have had previously. So I suppose it is a chance to get uh, the native music of your area uh, out there to a, a greater audience. Yeah, I mean, look, I'll, I'll I'll say this: there have been people that have come up in a shortage well, and, and maybe once for me that that say, "Look, we've got all this great talent here in Cape Breton. Why?" Would, why wouldn't you make this festival just entirely local? And, you know, there's lots of reasons for that. Um, we have the talent to, to put on a great festival, but what's... Oh, shoot. Sorry about that. I don't know if you heard that. That's okay. Um, <laughs> but there's... <laughs> there's... The local um, band looking for a gig there. Yeah, a phone call coming in. <laughs> I'll just turn them off. No, um, there's, um, you know, if I flip the coin on the head and say, well, if if I did that and, and if other festival directors around the world did that, then they wouldn't have Cape Bretoners coming to play in Ireland or Scotland. And, and that feels really hypocritical um, to do. Um, and it's also, what I've also been told and what I've seen is that when you bring over uh, folks that are, you know, just such legends and have had long musical touring careers and impact and then you have like for instance I had the Chieftains last year for the opening show which is grand um, it was also for me the year of, of uh, youth that was my theme and so I had a local pipe band come on and they had just won the world championships for their division they're great and they get to share the stage with the Chieftains like those are memories and an esteem that you can't pay for. That becomes something that I hope and I think, and I know personally from that situation, myself getting to have played with the symphony during the festival before I ever worked for it, that those are, are sentiments that stick with you throughout your entire life and gives you the validation that you're a great musician. And we need that for our local musicians. So. To have international is really important, and I have fought for it ever since. And you know, in this COVID business, it would be easy to say, "Well, it'll just—it's just be easier to not deal with an international component." But we don't do things easily, and it's worth the—it's worth the effort to to stick to your goals and, and and values, and that's what we're doing. That's what I'm doing. I get your commitment, and it's greatly appreciated. I must say to that. Is there a website, is there somewhere where we can get an idea or where we can follow up after this conversation to get some details about Celtic Colours? We're, um, <laughs> we're Celtic-Colours.com and it's of course, with you I wouldn't have to say this, but I'll say it just the same, it's C-O-L-O-U-R-S because we have lots of uh, American friends that come up that wouldn't <laughs> use the U, so I'm always, you know, again ingrained to, to say Colours with the U. Um, and we're, we're aiming to get the, let's see, the, we'll make the 
line up uh, public September 14th. That's what we've set as a goal for ourselves. Okay, well, we'll watch the space for that uh, line-up. Now, just to talk to you about maybe the COVID-19 and how it's affecting, before we started recording here, we were chatting, you mentioned that your area, your province, is in a bubble. Can you just explain what the setup is there? Right, so we've obviously been in lockdown and quarantine, um, I guess, I hate to say it, I think it was March 17th, it was kind of around St. Patrick's Day, everything <laughs> yeah. just changed. <laughs> well we know. And so then about middle of May, we had a, a, you could bubble with your family, so you could bubble with one other family, and, and that was great, many people could see, like for myself, see my parents, who I hadn't seen for two months. Um, so the bubble that's just going to open up as of July 3rd will mean that um, our four provinces on the eastern uh, seaboard will be able to bubble. I think there have been, you've been able to tr- somewhat travel between provinces, but you would have been mandated to quarantine for 14 days. So that will remove that 14-day um, ask. And what about then people locally? How has it affected you or how, you know, have people come to terms with it? Or is it still that shadow that's hanging over people? I think people have come to terms with it. Um, You know, there are certain parts of our economy that haven't opened up um, yet. There, gosh, if I went down to the office and say, April, and you drive downtown Sydney, um, you know, it, it was really stark to see zero cars moving like it was just we also had a really really late winter like it snowed in the first of first week of may which never happened so it was really desperate (laughs) 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 it took a long time to take the winter tires off the car here which was just only compounding the emotions um but i think uh i think we're dealing with it i there's concern that um of all the industries that music will be the last one that comes full circle and opens to its previous um, lore. So I think that's concerning for lots of folks, especially those that, you know, make music their full time. So I'm, you know, I'm a bit lucky in that I don't rely necessarily on my, my musical income as a performer, even though I'm still very much in the musical world and industry. Um, but I, I do, you know, my heart does go out to folks that are the technicians you know they're the ones that are carrying lots of debt in terms of equipment um you know i know lots of musicians especially some of the bigger ones that have just lost thousands and thousands and thousands of potential gigs because of a tour being dropped and um you know there's talk that the border between the u.s and canada will remain closed for the really the rest of this calendar year Certainly, it's a continuing worry for people right across the world. The performance area, the artistic area, certainly I think will probably will be the last to get going. And there are great concerns. And it's just important that we try and keep some semblance of performance like you're doing with Celtic Colours. And that's really great. What about yourself then, Dawn? How have you been getting through this particular period? You said you're not depending on travelling, but I'm sure the fact that you were told, well, you can't go touring, that must have had a, uh, must have had a, a certain psychological effect on you. Yeah, um, I'd be lying if it's if I said it didn't. Um, I think 
you know, my <laughs> I feel like I, I'm talking to to a therapist here. I'm going to develop I I ask everybody this: How they're actually managing to get through? Because uh, I need the help myself. <laughs> I, I mean, I um, I guess to my credit, I I'm more introverted certainly, and I don't, despite being a performer, and maybe because of being a performer. I don't need to go out and party every night. I don't need that kind of swarm of people um, in my life. You know, I never, I've never had that kind of need. So this doesn't feel like a burden in that sense for me to get through the day to day. I think what's been, you know, the, 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 for me, I think the hardest part was that first month because, you know, everything was changing and swirling. And, you know, I can remember, uh, probably I think it was maybe the second week in April that um, we had made the decision that we were essentially we're not canceling the festival but certainly changing its context and we were on a zoom call and I just you know you just you just break down you just have that moment and I'm in a different position as other ADs will will relate that you know when you're putting together a festival look I get made fun of all the time by by people that, that care for me that say, oh, you just take those magnetic pieces and you throw them up on the board. And that's your festival kind of thing. Um, and it's what people that um, perhaps aren't um, in this line of work see it and think that. And uh, what they don't realize, although it makes logical sense, it comes from, you know, this is coming from my brain and my heart. And I had, it, you know hopes and dreams like a child in a sense for this event and you get attached to it and the tribute shows that would have come forth this year that you know had to happen this year the special anniversary um and so you know uh, i have just always referenced what um my cousin natalie has said to me on a personal level you just learn to let go and so that's been that's been tough but it's one of those things uh, you kind of grieve for it for a little while and then move on. So that was tough. Um, what's been really odd for us in the midst of all of this, we had um, Canada's worst mass shooting uh, happen in Nova Scotia uh, in April. So that was something that was really uh, just, you know, hard to fathom and hard, you know, you never have anticipated that. So uh, there were 22 people killed. Um, over it was it's just crazy what what happened uh, you wake up on a Sunday morning and and this is the new reality for a lot of people um, and then there's been other little weird tragedies we've you know in the course of um, one month so we had uh, an RCMP constable die in that shooting a female we had um, uh, there was a ship that uh, a helicopter that went down off of Greece um, with our uh, their Canadian uh, regiment, and there was uh, another female Nova Scotia um, uh, officer that died in that. And then uh, we have the Canadian Snowbirds, which is a great um, aerial um, thing for the RCAF, the Royal Canadian Air Force, and uh, there was a death. And she, her I knew, and so she was the third female uh, to die within um, that month. So it's just been a complexity of grief on top of grief, and and that's been that's been tough. Well, it sounds like it's certainly a, a tragic set of circumstances down on top of 
uh, COVID-19. By the way, Dawn, is there music that you have listened to during this period that you may not even have listened to previously? Uh, that's a good question. I, you know, you go with what you know and maybe more so during times of crisis, you kind of, you go back to the, the music that you want to, you hold dear to your heart. Um, I have uh, Howie McDonald's album in my car. Uh, he put out an album um, that we featured in the festival. In fact, we did a tribute show to Howie, and it was all around his latest, his latest album, uh, appropriately called Shades of Tartan. If you know how, he's he's a great uh, comedian and very very witty and funny. Um, so he's he's one for a play on words. So Shades of Tartan is a really great album. Um, and then I, I <laughs> COVID's been funny because it's brought out some some real superstars in, in the mix in the midst of all of this. And uh, the East Pointers from Prince Edward Island um, are you know they've been at the festival a number of times, and they make great great music and they're touring all over the place. Um, but they found themselves between England, um, PEI, and Australia. And then when we finally got rid of the snow and uh, I was able to get outside and, and get home and get walking, um, we have this great uh, spot below my parents' home. And it's an old railway bed that they've removed and made into a great walking track. The Mile River curls right below and it makes its way into the mouth of the Mabu Harbour. Um, so I had this great moment only a few weeks ago um, with the music app on shuffle it came up on uh, maddie rankin and eric uh wright and they have performed of course at the festival maddie's from mabu another red-headed fiddler red violinist um she's exceptional um they're both exceptional it's violin and cello and uh, i had this stunning slow piece that she wrote called across the field and uh as i'm looking across the field in southwest mabu against my own backdrop so those are all really pivotal and important folks in my life at the moment that's fantastic to hear and quite a lot of it quite local as well so it's great to hear that you have that love of the music from that area across the field and we'll see if I can uh, get a listen to that somewhere. Dawn it's been a pleasure uh, chatting to you and we're going to wish you all the very best with this year's Celtic Connections Festival. Hopefully we'll all be together again in music at Tradfest 2021. Dawn thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. I really appreciate the uh, the chance to chat and good to chat and hear your voice again. And uh, you and the, the staff take care and I hope all the best for your event uh, early next year. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We look forward to when we're all together again in music at next year's Tradfest, provisionally set for the 27th through the 31st of January 2021. And while we're all waiting for the day when it's safe to travel again, you can fill your heart with Ireland by going to ireland.com. Music